You've heard of BetaShares. You've probably seen the logo on our podcast. You might even be among their 1 million investors. So you can imagine that I'm delighted to say BetaShares is the official ETF partner of the Australian Finance Podcast. With nearly 100 exchange-traded funds, you can go to betashares.com.au and immerse yourself in ETFs and unique insights covering all of the sectors, themes, core and satellite positions you could want. Think cybersecurity through the Hack ETF, robotics and AI with the RBTZ ETF, and uranium with the URNM ETF. The list goes on. To explore the BetaShares ETF range, visit betashares.com.au, read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website, and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. Is there a Spotify wrapped for investing? If you want to invest in shares or ETFs, our friends at Perla are more than one step ahead of the curve. On average, people who use Perla invest $1,750 every month. That's what we want to see, proper dollar cost averaging. With automated investing tools making your life simple, Perla investors have well and truly mastered the art of investing small bits lots of times. So if you're ready to start growing your net worth in 2024, follow the link in your Spotify or Apple podcast player right now to discover how you can get started today. Welcome to the Australian Finance Podcast. I'm Kate Campbell. And I'm Owen Rusk. And we're here to give you the tools and knowledge to invest both your time and money better. If you're new, feel free to jump in with our Starter Pack series that aired in early 2022 or our Shares or ETF mini series. We've got plenty to share with you in today's episode, but if you want to catch us on socials, head to Rusk Australia on Insta and Twitter. I'm also found at Kate Campbell AUS on Insta. And I'm Owen Rusk AU on Insta. Just beware of the fake accounts. We'll never DM you about trading strategies or crypto. And if it sounds a bit weird, it's probably not us. And just one final heads up before we get into the show. This podcast contains general financial information only. Welcome, everybody, to part two of our superannuation crash course. I'm talking to Jess Brady, licensed financial advisor. If you haven't already listened to part one we released earlier this week, please go back and do that because it sets the groundwork for everything we're going to discuss today. Today, we're going to talk about how much super you should have, what to do if you've got multiple super funds, how to know if your super fund's doing anything good for you, and how do you grow your super balance so you've got enough to do all those fun things you want to do in retirement. Jess, thank you so much for joining me on the show again. I'm very excited to be back. Now, if people want to think about superannuation and start making informed decisions, where do you think they need to start? I think it's important to figure out what you currently have. And, you know, sometimes that in itself can be quite a journey rather than just a starting point. Uh, But, you know, sometimes so figure out what you currently have and where your super is. And then typically once you've done that and you start doing a little bit more investigative work, you figure out your balance. And then the general question that sort of gets leaned into is, well, is that good? is that enough? Am I on track? How does that benchmark? What Mm. does that mean? So typically these are sort of the knock-on or the flowing questions that follow from here on in. My thoughts on this is, is an interesting question because, you know, some people, you know, you and I were talking, some people want to know, like, is there a magic number? Like, I just need to make sure that I have this number and then everything will be fine. No, I really wish life was that simple, but no, there are tables that exist 
uh, to try to help you figure out sort of based on your age, here's what the average is. Couple that with the idea that very few people want to be average. Take those numbers with a grain of salt. They are looking at the broad spectrum of people in lots of different industries um, and the average amount. So if you are looking at those tables and you're like, oh, okay, I am doing well because I've got that number, perhaps, you know, do some questioning and go, well, is that enough though? You know, comparing comparisonitis and money is so infectious and everywhere. But knowing whether you've got the same amount as your friends in the same age category as you, I don't think it's very helpful mm. because it doesn't take into consideration what you want to do. And it's just keeping up with the Joneses at its best. However, I recognize that we do sort of want some level of benchmark. So it is a bit of a tricky dance. People tend to say that when you are sort of getting into your latter years, and they use really broad sort of numbers, but um, you know, when you're at say 65-ish, then you need between seven to 13 or 14 times your pre-retirement gross income. Now, between seven to 14 is a big variable. (laughs) And this is what some of the research comes out as. I think the better question to ask yourself is like, what will my ideal life be like then? Because if you have dreams of flying around the world, business class, you know, for those earlier years of retirement, you're going to need a lot more money than someone who just plans at sitting at home or not doing a huge amount. So I also think some personalization comes in here. Consider like, is it likely that I'm going to live in a home that I own? Am I going to be renting forever? Because if so, then I'm probably going to need a lot more in retirement savings to cope with the rental situation that is Australia and that's probably not going away. So there isn't a hard and fast rule. Obviously, the more, the more. And I love the more, the more. But I understand that, you know, back to our part one conversation, those trade-offs need to be brought into consideration. So go and have a look at the tables. Do they give you some interesting insights? Yeah. Are they what you should be aiming for? Mm, Probably not. Mm. So is there any... So you said that number of out times our income, but is there any sort of a big number like you need a million dollars to retire or something like that 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 gives someone something to work towards? Not for young people. Not for young because people. Because I know that that's I know that at every point I feel a little bit like a politician who's just like <laughs> ducking and weaving. But a million dollars today. And a million dollars in 40 years when you might reach retirement age, that is not going to be worth the same amount of money. And so I don't want you to get this million dollar number burnt into your head and then think that's enough and not factor in inflation and then get to 40 years down the track and be like, but I've always been taught that a million's enough because I don't know what a million is going to be worth then. And that does, you know, when you're talking about people who have decades, that needs to be factored in. Like AFSA, the... um, body that looks at this, they do really good numbers around, you know, for people in retired situations now, how much do they think you need as a single person? How much do they think you need as a couple? I haven't looked into it for a long time because I don't work with these people, but from memory, it's something like mm, 65 sort of K or something like that. So it's not a huge amount of money. And again, to my point, if you're wanting to do all this crazy, fun, expensive stuff, you might be horrified at that number. For others of you, you might think, oh my gosh, I could totally live off that number. So it does come down to your personal circumstances and you need to sort of look at what you're on the trajectory to have Mm. 
and what tiny changes might do. And I can do a bit of an example of that for later. So I know that's annoying because I know that you want a number to chase towards, but I also am just scared that I will do more damage than good by giving you a number that in turn will not stand up the test of time and may leave you in a vulnerable position because you might get there early and be like, boom, I can take my foot off the pedal. I've already got there. And that may not, in fact, be real based on what it costs to live when we are old. Mm. I know a lot of super funds have compound interest calculators where you can put in your balance, how much your salary is, it calculates how much your employer is contributing, and that gives you an indication of where you might be when you hit retirement age. Is that a helpful tool, would you say? Uh, yeah, I really like the Money Smart one. Money Smart, who is, which is done by ASIC, um, the regulator, they have some really amazing calculators that are free, that are easy, that don't mean that you need to be with a particular super fund, although a lot of them open them up to everyone anyway. Um, and the thing that I like about the ASIC Money Smart one is that you can tinker around with some of the numbers and see the impact. And I think that that is often very insightful. Mm. Okay. Well, at least that gives people somewhere to start if they're trying to work out, if they're looking at their super balance after today's episode and going, am I, am I tracking towards what I want after you figure that out? That's the most important question. It's not about how I'm doing to everyone else. It's like, what am I on track to have? And am I okay with the trajectory that I'm on? And if not, then obviously, if you're younger, awesome. I figured it out now that I'm not. And let me see what I can do that's within the realm of those trade-offs that I need to make to get me, you know, more in line with what I expect I need. And one of those big steps about taking control of our super is actually locating our super account. And that can be a big step for a lot of people because many of us work part-time jobs at high school and uni have actually ended up with multiple super funds uh, across different providers. And we might have $100 here and $1,000 there, and we might not be fully aware of what's happening. So can you run us through how to track down our lost super funds? Mm -hmm. There are billions of dollars in lost super, like billions. It's insane. And when I started in the industry, it was a nightmare to try to find your super. Thankfully, due to the powers of technology, we have come a long way. The MyGov website is an amazing resource for you to be able to put in your tax file number, hopefully it's already in there, and then it will track it for you. It also has the ability for you to consolidate sort of on the spot just hold off doing that before we talk about what you should think about first. But it is a collective uh, insight in terms of where your tra tax file number has got, uh, where they are able to track a super fund based on you giving your tax file number. It's extremely common for people to have more than one super fund. And if you do, there should be a really tactical reason as to why you've kept multiple funds. But moving house, forgetting to update your address, these are all the common you know, um, responses that I hear from people around, how come it's not all together? They're like, I just forgot. Hmm. So are there any other reasons you would have multiple super funds apart from maybe a, a tactical in investment lifestyle decision? Uh, yeah, there are. So it might be that the fund that you're in no longer accepts uh, any more payments. So you might have worked for a government scheme that is only available to current government members or you might have had, you know, a defined benefit scheme which you're no longer able to contribute to. They're pretty rare. Uh, more often than not, people have multiple super funds for one reason, and that is insurance, because they're unable to get new quality insurance with the new insurer because something's changed in their health circumstances. And so they want to keep the insurance that they already have within their old super fund. 
but there's a heap of rules and fine print that you need to understand with that. You don't just get to keep that fund going and then the super sort of stays alive and well. You either need to sign a form to say, I'm happy uh, for it to stay forever, particularly if you go under a smaller balance. There are super funds that will literally just cancel your insurance if you go below a certain threshold or you need to make a contribution every 16 months. If you don't make a contribution within that 16 months and you haven't submitted the form to say, no, I want to keep this alive and well, they'll just cancel it for you. So it does come with caveats and and life admin, but most people that I've worked with, remembering they were in their 20s, 30s and 40s, even by that stage they've had a health event. Yeah. And that superannuation fund that has been around since they were 16 and working in hospital or whatever they were doing means that they don't have that pre-existing exclusion on that insurance. Obviously, check the fine print because they all vary. So it can be really strategic to keep that in force because life happens, health changes, and when you start a new fund, and this is a common thing that I hear, is, oh, yeah, but I got new insurance uh, with my new fund. Awesome. Does it have a pre-existing health exclusion built in. Mm, I haven't seen many that don't. And so you might get a form that looks like you've got all this insurance and sadly the majority of people don't find out what they're actually insured for until they go to claim. It's absolutely never the time when you want to figure out that what you thought you were covered for is not what you're covered for. So I have my um, super spread across three different super funds, which sounds crazy as a financial advisor. Two of them are very low balances strategically left there because I am now uninsurable and I can't get those insurances again. I'm also very lucky in that I got personal insurance when I was in my 20s um, and so I'm insured up to the hilt. Um, But I just know that keeping those alive and well is very, very important because of my health circumstances. If I went to a new super fund tomorrow, I would never be covered for the same conditions that I have within those ones. Mm. And I know it's become very easy to consolidate super funds. You can almost do it with one click of a button within your super fund and within the MyGov account. But I know the conversation here goes, hey, just check your insurances before you start consolidating with the click of the button because people can lose things that they might not be able to get somewhere else. Exactly. And once you've cancelled it, they don't let you have it back because Mm. now you're like out of the cool kids club and they're like, oh, sorry, actually, we don't want to take you back anymore. And it's like, no, I, it looked so easy and it had so many knock-on ramifications. And so, yes, I love that they've made it easier to find the super. I love sort of that consolidating is not as painful as it has been in the past, but I really would love a level of education around making sure that you know what you're giving up as well. And not just consolidating to the current fund that your employer is contributing to, or the one that's got the highest amount in there, like actually figuring out why are you consolidating into this fund? Why have you picked this one? Not just because it was the first one in the MyGov app, so you just decided to click them all into that one. You know, that's what I'm worried about. Mm. It's almost in some ways having the technology there has made it easier not to think about some of those important considerations because if you're listening, you shouldn't be just clicking the button. You're going, actually, what are my insurances in different funds? What do I want to be covered for? And is this still appropriate? Is there something I'm going to lose that I can't get again if I click this button? Exactly. Exactly right. So we love it for certain elements and we hate it for other elements. Yeah. And what about if we, so we're thinking about maybe we're considering consolidating because we've got a few funds, but we don't really 
know which is the best fund or maybe there's a better fund for us that's not even on that list and we should think about another fund and maybe consider taking our money there. What is, at a high level, how do we know if a super fund's any good for us? Mm. So you're right. There's a big wide world when it comes to super funds and there's lots of different choices. I think there's a couple of key things that you want to look at. So you want to look at uh, where is your money invested right now? How growth weighted or defensively weighted is your current investment strategy? And is that correct based on where you're at and how much risk you believe you should take based on how long you've got until you should retire? Because what you might find is that you're in the right um, super company, but you might not be in the right super product. And so they might have an alternative product, which is far more suited to what your needs are. So there's sort of two different layers that you need to look at. Is the super fund company any good? Is the fund that I'm in any good? And so we look at, you know, what is, and we call this asset allocation, literally where are the um, super funds being allocated in terms of an asset perspective? How much am I being charged in fees, both fees on the actual investment portfolio that I'm in, but also things like administrative fees, monthly fees, any insurances, et cetera. So we want to understand, am I getting fair uh, market fees compared to other funds? And then, as I said, we want to look at what choices they have. So if I did want to change, what could that look like? You might have an ethical preference. Do they have the option for you to be able to do that? And if not, you know, perhaps you need to bounce to a different fund that offers more choice for you. What I'm really excited about is, you know, many of the super funds now are starting to create products that do have more of an ethical-based uh, portfolio lens. And also some super funds, even some big ones, are allowing investors to do some self-directed investing as well. So know that they're out there. Um, do have a look at that. And of course, performance. So we want to know what has this fund done? And every year the super funds um, get, you know, rolled out and everyone gets to stare at their performance and then people make decisions off that. But I don't think that that's necessarily the whole picture. You can't just go um, performance chasing because one year is not an indication of the long-term performance and chasing and chopping and changing your superannuation is a dangerous move because you're selling out of an asset position, you're moving to a new one, there are tax considerations, there's time out of the market, and very often one that performs really well one year doesn't back it up for the next year. So I like to look at the net performance. So that means the performance after the fees and charges have been taken out over the longest time period possible. So if the fund's been around for five years, awesome. What's the average net uh, return of that? Rather than just the one year, you know, we saw equity markets do pretty poorly over the last few years. And if you're a panicked investor and you don't understand and you think, oh gosh, my fund's just doing really badly, you might make a really irrational decision. Whereas if you step back and go, okay, well, this is a really aggressive growth fund because I'm young and I feel like I can handle that. These are normal periods that many of the um, funds, both in super and outside of super, you know, didn't perform as their average performance fee was sort of in line with. But actually that means I was potentially buying at a discount. And so I've been able to buy units inside my superannuation fund while markets were down. And then as they continue to go up again, then, you know, I know that I'm going to get extra growth. So think of it with a long-term horizon. You know, market downturns present amazing long-term investment opportunities and superannuation is the longest of long-term <laughs> investment worlds. But if your fund has performed very poorly, 
consistently, then you definitely need to think about that because it makes a huge difference. Can I actually tell you a scary comparison? Yeah. Okay. I want you to pretend that um, you're 30 and that you earn a hundred thousand dollars and you're going to retire by 67. And currently you've got $50,000 in your super. I've assumed that it's the 11% superannuation amount because that kicks in very soon. Let's say we didn't care about where our super was. We never thought about it. We never looked at it. We never made any changes. Let's say we're being charged 1% in fees. And let's say our average annual return or performance is 6%. Not terrible, but certainly not great. If all of that was true until you retire, this doesn't factor in, you know, changing the portfolio, et cetera. But let's just say all of that was true. You retire, you're going to have $700,000 in your super fund. Let's use exactly the same example, but let's tweak two seemingly insignificant things. So we're still 30, we still own 100K and we have 50K in our super. Instead of a 1% fee, let's say we found a fund that offered us a half percent fee. So just a half a percent difference. And let's say instead of the, sorry, it was 6.5% return in the first example. So let's say we went with more of an aggressive fund that on average did 8.5% return. So 2% more in performance half a percent less in fees. Do you want to know how much more you're going to have? A few hundred thousand dollars more? Yeah, 1.117, nearly almost half a million dollars more. I've not changed the income. I've not changed how much you're contributing. I've literally changed the fee by half a percent and the performance by 2%, and I have $500,000 more in this example. That is why you need to get on top of those things that can seem Small and insignificant, but times over many, many years have a really, really big impact. And these are some of the things we have choice about. We can choose to invest our money in a different investment option, in a different super fund that may have lower fees and a better asset allocation for us long term. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, employers with the exception of only a few, they can't mandate a fund for you. They might have a preferred fund, which their HR team would love to sort of pull you down the path of because it's much easier for them administratively. But no, it's your money. It's your money. You can invest it where you like within a superannuation structure. Mm. And one of the, one of my friends recently was showing me her research she was doing in picking a super fund. And she was like, Kate, there is at least 30 different companies that can manage my super and each of these companies has at least sort of five to 10 different investment options. And then I've got to look at performance and I've got to look at fees. And she was just like, there's hundreds of different options. And she was completely paralyzed and not knowing what to do at that point. And it's just like, is there just a place I could put in my details and it would spit out the best super fund for me? There isn't one that looks at everyone. Yeah. That's the hard bit. There's some that look at some some of them have paid to be part of that comparison site. You know, that's what I get a little bit worried about. And yeah. and, I, and I know because as an advisor, we have, you know, uh, financial services software that has the whole ramit of them and it goes for pages and pages and pages and pages. Like most financial advisors can't get across the literal thousands of funds yeah. that exist for super. So I think um, fantastic that your friend is considering it. Picking out, you know, a couple of things that are really important to them is a good starting point. Mm. And understanding that if it means that you're going to do nothing, then it's better to do it imperfectly. And maybe that it's just they go with researching the top five based on what they see as the lowest 
empathy, if that's the most important feature to them, or the ones that have the most growth weighted allocation, if that's the most important to them, you know, figure out what's important to you. Obviously, we would love for people to do research until the cows come home. It's not realistic and people have real lives. So commit to an amount of time and or go and get help in doing it. Um, otherwise, yeah, I would suggest that analysis paralysis prevents people from making any decision. And I would rather people make an, an educated decision, even if it's not fully across everything. I think that's a better outcome. Yeah. So just writing down a few key parameters that are important to you and then focusing on finding something that's close enough to that and making a decision. And and you can change that decision later on. I think we forget that we can move our super down the track as well. We're allowed to do that. Totally. I mean, financial advisors, we are diehard. Like we want you to do everything perfectly. I have a best interest duty so that I'm legally obligated to do the best, best, best thing for every single person in every single element of their financial world. That does not translate to real life with real people, with careers and kids and hobbies. I mean, I would love to tell you to go and do all of the research forever, but I also need to add an element of realism and be like, you're probably never going to do anything because that's never going to happen. So yes, we live in an imperfect world. If you're going to do it yourself, pick the things that are most important, commit the time, get a study buddy to help do it with you. And yeah, if if you end up realizing that that fund isn't for you, whilst I don't advocate for changing all the time, know that you can change and you should change when it becomes appropriate to do so. And you mentioned ethical investment options before. I thought we should just touch on that a little bit in detail because there's a lot of super funds that they're either focused on ethical investing within the whole fund or there's super funds that are offering something along the lines of ESG option or sustainable option or socially responsible investment option. What are Mm. your thoughts on these? It's a minefield. Yeah. That's my honest thought. Um, I have two challenges with this. So what is ethical is a personal question. Mm. I cannot answer nor decide that for you. And so when you are considering how green is your money and is it in line with your personal values, you need to know what those personal values are and how they translate to money. If you would be horrified to learn that your money is invested in mining companies, then you'd probably be shocked to know that unless you've changed your super, I can pretty much guarantee if you're invested in the Aussie stock market, you're invested in mining companies. So, you know, figure out what you want to have and what you don't want to have money invested in. And that's a really great starting point. Um, But there is no one size fits all approach when it comes to ethical investing. So again, we're adding an extra layer of perceived complexity and it can be complex because sometimes they can be very clever about how they do or don't disclose where the money is going. The second issue, and this not only exists for ethical funds, but more broadly, and yet when it comes to ethical funds, because as you say, at the moment they tend to have like one fund that is trying to be all things ethical, I have a real challenge with the asset allocation that exists for most of them. So if we think about who is likely to want to invest ethically, statistics tell us it is mostly young people and a lot of women. And yet when I look at these sort of tokens, the one ethical or green product that a lot of super funds have, and you actually look at what they're investing in, more often than not, a large portion of that money is sitting in defensive or conservative assets. And I'm like, this is not enough risk for someone who's this young. And so they have to make, the the consumer or you have to make a trade-off between am I wanting to invest ethically within this fund or am I actually wanting to have the growth-weighted assets I think is important based on my age and my risk appetite? 
I get really frustrated with that. And look, balanced funds are not balanced. And I think that that is a whole problem that the industry needs to address. Um, but I would love to see true to label, non-greenwashing ethical funds come out with different, you know, across the entire risk spectrum. If you want to be a conservative investor because you're close to retirement age, there's an ethical fund for that. If you're at the very early, you know, stage of your career and you want to go high, high growth, there is an ethical fund for that. We aren't there yet. And sadly, at the moment, in the big funds at least, you're trading off uh, growth to get that green sort of tick. Mm. And if there's more options in the future, that'll be partly be driven by consumer demand. So if people are actually asking their super fund, I want a high growth ethical super fund and enough people are asking for these kind of products, they'll probably start creating them. Yeah. And there are some that exist. And so if they keep seeing inflows into these few products that are growth weighted ethical portfolios, because they all get reporting on how much is flowing in and out and where it's all going to, you know, there might be the most uninterested investment portfolio management team who don't care at all about green investments. But if they see that they're losing money, yeah, money talks and they'll start thinking about how do they bring that in. And I really hope that we get there quickly because I have had to have really difficult conversations with clients about my own personal ethical trade-offs because they want to go into this fund and I don't think it's the right fund for them based on what I think they need. Um, and so, as I said, over the last few years, we have seen some exciting development, but we've still got a ways to go, I'm afraid. Mm. And something else you mentioned was about balance funds. And I think it's it's probably not worth getting into too deeply because it will take too long to unpack, but it's worth noting that if you're comparing a balance fund at Superfund A and a balance fund at Superfund B, it doesn't mean you're comparing the same thing. Yeah. So we, um, if if you were buying food, the label would have to tell you exactly what food you're buying. When you're buying super funds, no, it is completely misleading. And this is the tricky piece, particularly when you're just looking at performance. If you're looking at super fund A's balanced net performance and you're looking at super fund B's balanced net performance, and you're like, whoa, these are really different. A's is so much better. I definitely need to go there. If you actually look under the hood, you might realize, oh, it's because A's actually got like 75% of their assets in growth. And then you start thinking, well, what's B got? B might only have 50% or 60%. Both of those in my world do not depict a balanced portfolio, which should, to me, be balanced. Mm. And so would you, if you are wanting to take your research a little bit deeper, would you try and figure out what your asset allocation that you want your super fund to be looks like and then try to find a super fund that matches that? Yeah, definitely. And then and then bringing in that performance and fee consideration. So the very general rule of thumb is the shorter, this goes across all uh, financial goals, not just super, the shorter time frame you have, the less volatility you can handle, the less risk you take. Similarly, the more time you have to ride out market volatility, uh, then the more risk that goal can handle. Of course, as you get closer and closer to the goal, people redistribute that allocation and pull back to more conservative. But uh, figuring that out and figuring out, you know, how much you're comfortable with, I think for a lot of young people, particularly women, they need to be coached to take more risk than feels naturally comfortable for them. Uh, so once you've figured that out, you know, in a normal high growth portfolio, you're looking at between 90 to 100% of assets allocated to growth-weighted assets, and normally that is in the Australian and uh, global share market, you need to know that that's a volatile environment and you need to be really comfortable with the idea that you can wake up tomorrow and there's significantly less money in there than yesterday and not to panic. 
run out the wave, close the app, don't check, know that that's all part of the process. If you're someone who knows that you can't handle that and that you're going to make a panic decision, then maybe you can't handle that level of risk. So the great thing is super funds have come a long way in being able to show you in a beautiful, pretty pie graph normally, colour coordinated, how much is allocated to defensive and how much is allocated to growth. And so you can get to see. But, you know, a 30-year-old with a third of their super allocated to conservative assets, general sort of broad-based comment would be that is not enough risk for that person who has almost 40 years until they're able to access that money. And one of the other, in terms of working out risk and whether a product might be appropriate for you, a lot of the super funds will just say, look at the PDS, which is the product disclosure statement, which is a document that I would, head on my heart, say that 99.9% of people do not read. If we do our due diligence and we open up the PDS, are there any particular sections we should draw our eye to? I mean, I'd love to tell you that, but they all put them in different ways. And look, PDSs are not built for humans. They're not. I'm convinced that whoever writes them writes them for an alternative species who speak PDS language. Uh, Because you might find that you get to the PDS and then it says, go and look at this fact sheet or go and look at this supplementary PDS. So no, there's no consistency. But I think the things you want to know about is uh, where is the money invested? What is their investment philosophy? If you can, and this is rare, particularly with the big super funds, actually what you'll be investing in. So it's wonderful if it says that you're invested in Australian shares. Which ones? How many of them? What international shares are you invested in? Are you invested in the emerging markets? Are you in small caps? Are you just doing the, you know, the big global indexes? Like try to understand what's their methodology. Are they doing an index-based strategy, which means they follow a market? Are they doing an active-based strategy where their team pick the stock? So having a look, but no, they send you, even for me, they send on a wild goose chase. I don't know why they make it so hard, but it is frustrating. And sometimes fact sheets can be quite helpful. If you get overwhelmed with the PDS, just know that you're clearly not going to get the same level of insight and data. Yeah. A lot of the super funds are making an effort. It seems at least on the surface to have more fact sheets and clear information on their website. So you can toggle between different sections uh, but often if you if you do want to see under the surface and download like a full holding list, it is a, a bit of a minefield. <laughs> uh, yeah, it is. And I hope that that changes because mm. it's our money. We should see where it's invested. Yeah, absolutely. And if we want to grow our super balance at a high level, what are our options there? Cool. Well, if you're working and you have an employer paying your check, you need to know that your employer is obligated to put money into your super on your behalf. So that's called an employer contribution. You can choose to uh, make additional contributions to super. So there's a couple of different ways that you can do it. So you can get your HR team to move money before you've been taxed on it. So rerouting it straight from your pay into your superannuation. So that's called salary sacrificing. You can also make personal contributions. Now these can be split into deductible or non-deductible contributions. So uh, on my hit list for early next week is I'm going to make a personal deductible contribution to my own super fund. So this is money that I've already been taxed on. I'm going to put it into my super fund. Importantly, though, the super fund needs to then receive a, a letter from me 
which each super fund has a different form, which is typically called a notice of intent to claim form. So I'm telling my super fund, hey, I intend to claim this deduct uh, this contribution as a tax deduction. And they often need to receive that before the end of financial year. I say this because it's a little bit like panic shopping at Christmas Eve. Everyone tries to do it all in the last minute and they miss the boat. So you can make your own contributions before tax through your salary sacrifice. You can do it from money in your bank account, either deciding whether you're going to claim that as a deductible contribution or not. That is typically based on your personal circumstances, how much money you've put into super based on the caps and whether you have other years that you're going to backfill for. Um, you can also split superannuation with, say, your partner if there are um, taking time off, as I already mentioned in part one, you know, if there's someone's taking parental leave, you can go, do some contribution splitting so that you sort of both are wearing that disadvantage for that period of time. And if we're interested in getting advice, because this all sounds like a lot and there's a lot of, it sounds like there's a lot of research, a lot of comparison, a lot of different moving parts, when would be the best times to get advice about superannuation? Mm, it's always a challenging question and I hope that I haven't scared you into thinking that you can't get on top of your super because uh, I need you to want to get on top of your super so hopefully you're still with us. Um, so there's a couple of different ways you can do this. If you want just advice on your superannuation, then you may find that your uh, super fund has a team of in-house advisors that may be able to help. Know that they are very restricted. They're not going to be able to give you access to information on other funds generally. You know, the analogy that they use is, is like it's like walking into an, a Nike shop and saying, but why aren't you talking about, you know, giving me an Adidas pair of shoes. It's like, well, we sell Nike here. That's sort of our jam. Yeah. Um, so that's worth understanding. If you want full advice, then you need to know that um, it can be life-changing and it can be really amazing, but it comes at quite a cost. And sadly, due to regulatory framework and compliance obligations, financial advice has become very unaffordable for, I would say, the average Australian. Um, otherwise, you can go and do programs. I mean, I started a program because I was sick of turning away young people who couldn't afford advice. I spend a whole week of my 10-week programs on superannuation, you know, checklists. We do a live call and we go into people's super funds and show them. You know, there's lots of different ways. So you can choose, you know, the going on doing it yourself, going into your current fund and getting advice there, going and getting full advice or doing sort of a general advice program that may be able to help you and give you all the tools that you need but at a lower cost. It is challenging because we do talk about the importance of getting advice, especially when it comes to your own personal finances. But for, for many people listening, they don't have, they can't afford the advice or they might be in a situation where the financial advisor goes, you don't really have enough to make it worth it. Yeah. So this was my huge problem. So uh, being really transparent. So I had a wait list often for months of young people wanting to have advice in conversations with me. I would meet with them and I'd turn 50% of them away because to your point, like they weren't at a at a, uh, a financial situation where I ethically felt that I could take them on because of the fees that we would have to charge. And it got me so frustrated and so um, upset that I actually decided, no, I'm going to build a 10-week program that covers all the things that I'm actually teaching in a one-on-one -on -one sense and do it at a fraction of the price because I want these people to have somewhere to go where they know that they're getting qualified, trusted, licensed advice. And it's not just some guy on TikTok who's decided he's an expert. Um because more and more people, you know, cannot and will not ever be able to afford advice. So that's the whole reason why I started The Greenhouse, because I was sick of laying awake at night 
upset that I was turning these people who desperately wanted help away. And if we pull everything that we've covered in part one and part two together and someone does want to take control of their own superannuation, what would you, like pulling it all together, what would be sort of the main action steps? Figure out where your super is. Why is it where it is? Do you have insurances? And if so, what do you need? Do you need them all? Are we keeping any super funds to keep the insurance alive and what's the process to do that? How much risk am I willing to take based on, you know, my age and my retirement uh, needs? Are there any ethical preferences that I do and do not have strong opinions about? What's the net performance of my current products? Where is the money allocated and how much am I being charged in fees? Then start doing some investigative work outside of your current funds. I think that's good because it gives us a sort of a checklist of things to to work through because it can seem at times and many of people I've spoken to quite overwhelming and they end up just picking a fund that their employer chose, their friend chose, or maybe they read about in a book and it mm. might not be the perfect fund for them. Yes. And remember, it's your money. It's going to be one of the biggest, if not the biggest asset that you ever have. I know it can be painful. It might take a couple of hours out of your time. It is worth it. This is going to set you up for years, if not decades. You can make the time for this. This is far too important to not, uh, to de-scope. So please do yourself a favor and recognize that as a huge asset for you, it's worth the investment of your time to get right. Amazing, Jess. Well, we've covered a lot in part one and part two. Is there anything else you wanted to add before we wrapped up this conversation? Uh, I think I'm just excited that people are still here and listening up to part two. So a huge congratulations to them. I think it's really exciting that people are taking action and learning and it is a lifelong journey with money, you know, and leveling up is really important and future you will be very, very grateful that you did so. I want everyone to have you know, financial freedom in whatever that means for them. And so I think, you know, personal responsibility here needs to be at the front and centre and knowing that it's a journey is really important. Um, I've loved today's conversation in both parts. And I guess if people want to have more conversations with me, if you've got strong thoughts about something that you disagree with, I'm all about it. Uh, JessicaBrady.com.au or you can find me on Instagram. You can DM me, any hate mail, Jess Brady underscore financial advice. You're opening up the floodgates there, That's Jess. okay. <laughs> and I know you answer some spicy money questions from your audience in your weekly newsletter as well. So um, if anyone wants some interesting thoughts, I would definitely recommend subscribing. I've had some interesting money dilemmas that I'm covering over the next month. So yeah, if you've got a money dilemma, send it on in and I'll try to tackle it for you. Amazing. Well, Jess, I'll include links to everything we've mentioned today, along with your website in the show notes and Thank you to everyone who's listened to both part one and part two. This is a fantastic step you're taking for your own financial future. The most important thing is you actually take action after listening today. So make sure you go away and at least log into your MyGov account and check where your super is and that your employer is paying it. Amazing. Thank you so much for having me, Kate. Thanks for joining me, Jess. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. We hope you learned something new and were able to take one thing away from this episode. If you're keen to learn more, head on over to Rask Education and take one of our free money and investing courses. You could even become a Rask Core member for less than your Netflix subscription each month. And don't forget to subscribe for new episodes in your inbox every week. 
Plus, if you enjoyed the show, we'd love you to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and send any questions our way via the link in the description. And before we go on, did this podcast contain personal financial advice just for me? Absolutely not, Kate. Our podcast actually contains general financial information only. What that means is the information does not take into account your financial needs, goals, objectives, or even your situation. So because of that, it's important that you consider if the information is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on it. If that all sounds a bit confusing or you're still working out what your needs are, it's a great idea to consult a licensed and trusted financial planner. And don't forget to do your own research. Are you thinking about starting your wealth creating journey, but not sure where to put your hard earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.